Gentlemen, episode number 128 of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us coming up on today's show. We are going to be joined by former lead announcer for NASCAR and IndyCar on ESPN. Marty Reed will join us coming up in just a matter of moments. We'll talk about his outstanding career and what he's up to now and uh, catch up with him coming up in just a matter of moments. Plus, we'll have our news and notes, a Look at the top headlines going on around the sport as we head to the final race of the round of 12 of the NASCAR playoffs. We'll break that down uh, coming up later on. And then uh, we'll also get to our race preview for the weekend at Bristol. It's Bristol, baby. Uh, we'll also answer your questions <laughs> for our Ask David segment coming up at the end of the show. Join us as always. David Starr is here. David? Uh, always a pleasure uh, anytime we get the chance to chat, my friend. Kansas Speedway, another win for 23-11. They have pretty much taken over that place. Tyler Reddick gets into victory lane for the first time at that track uh, there with uh, the 23-11 teams, 40 car, 45 cars back. Goes from seventh to first on that final restart to deliver the win and lock up a spot in the next round. Uh, what a drive there by Tyler Reddick, get the job done. and a guy that was on the border. We didn't know if he would uh, advance out of this round or not, and here he is uh, living to see another day. Big-time win there for Tyler Reddick and company. Man, big time. You know, 23-11, they got something figured out at the Kansas Speedway because uh, if I remember right, guys, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, Bubba Wallace was, victor had, was in victory lane there the last time they ran there, which was last year, I believe, and then for Tyler Reddick to – Back that up was a, with an exciting win Sunday afternoon was amazing, you know. And, yeah, Kurt uh, Busch has won there before too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But man, they uh, they got something figured out. Those and even Bubba Wallace before we had some issues, uh, you know, he was running strong. So twenty three eleven, they got it figured out. But you know, you look at Denny Hamlin. Denny was fast the entire race. It was a, it was an excellent race, and uh, uh, you know, you know we. It was interesting how it all played out. Thought really Kyle Larson was the guy to beat until, you know, about halfway through the race started fading there at the end. I don't know, really don't remember where he ended up at, but man, what an exciting race it, it turned out to be. Dominic Alagon from the RacingExperts.com joins us as well. Dom, you and I were talking about for the show and that drive, those final laps from Tyler Reddick there, that was, I would argue, the most impressive drive of his entire career to this point. What a job to pull off that win there in the closing laps. Oh, yeah. Had some great wins last year at RCR, Alcart Lay, winning at Texas, even the win at Coda this year. But to charge like he did on that final restart and, and out-duel past champions and, and literally catch Danny Hamlin asleep at the wheel to capture his second win, get that next round of the playoff berth clinched and, and ready to roll. Tyler Reddick in the 45 team, we said it a couple of weeks ago on the show, Tyler, if they can put a full race together, and that, and that includes the driver, that includes the pit crew, that 45 seemed to be very, very dangerous. And we just saw how dangerous Tyler Reddick could be at Kansas. He led two laps, but they were the most important laps of the race. Dom, uh, we head to Bristol, and we'll talk more about it later. But now it's it's put up for shut-up time as a four drivers are going to be eliminated this week. I can't imagine the nerves on some of these teams heading into this week, knowing that for some of them it's winter go home. 
Absolutely, especially looking at somebody like Michael McDowell, 40 points back of that cut line. We'll get more into the points here in a little bit. But the fact, Tyler, that you could have Martin Truex Jr. eliminated in the first round and the significance behind that, the format that we've had since 2017 where you have all these playoff points and the regular season champion, no regular season champion or number one seed for that matter has ever been eliminated in the round of 16. Truex is seven points below that bubble at Bristol. Now, we've seen him run well there in the past, but the fact that we're even having this conversation, unprecedented NASCAR history could be in the works. Could be. Uh, could be, indeed. Uh, our guest this week is uh, Marty Reed. Uh, you know him from his days with uh, covering NASCAR and ESPN as well as IndyCar uh, and uh, NHRA, off-road off racing. I mean, he he did it all uh, and also has a fascinating uh, story with his work in the production side uh, as well, uh, covered motorsports that way. And we've had him on previously, but David uh, was not here. So we're pleased to bring him back with, with David here. So, so David, uh, before we officially bring Marty in, just kind of setting the scene here. I mean, when, when you talk about one of the trendsetters, one of the people that you tell the story of NASCAR about in motorsports, you can't really do it without talking about Marty Reed here. Man, no doubt about it. This wealth of knowledge, and man, Marty did so much. I mean, you talk about all forms, NHRA, IndyCar racing, off-road, you know, USAC, midgets, all of it. But, you know, from just the the part I was involved in, the NASCAR Camp World Truck Series, I mean, Marty Marty really exposed our sports to all the people, you know. He, he did so much for for NASCAR racing, you know, with ESPN, I just, you know, when ESPN came in and was covering all forms of racing and including the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, man, Marty was, uh, I mean, he, uh, I don't know, you know, every, I, most households in America knew who Marty Reed was. He, he his wealth of knowledge on NASCAR racing and, and like you said, all forms of racing, he did a lot for the sport, you know, Marty and his other colleagues, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, back in that time, it's really what our sport would just exploded, you know, and I look at people like Marty Reed and what he did and, and other colleagues that Marty worked with that really put our sport on the map to made our sport number one, that uh, a sport that it is today. You got to give Marty Reed a lot of credit because it, it was uh, him and, and the people he worked with. There was only two or three, four others that worked with Marty, but amazing what ESPN and, and those guys did back then. So with that introduction, we welcome into the program, Marty Reed, uh, <laughs> to Let's Go Racing this week. Marty, appreciate you joining us. Thanks for uh, being here this week, Matt. Well, thanks for the invitation, but I don't know, has my head gotten so big from all that wonderful words <laughs> that you can't put on the screen right now? Uh, appreciate it, David. But, you know, I, 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 I was just one small cog in a very, very big wheel. I mean, uh, there were some some very talented people not only on camera like uh, Bob Jenkins and Dave Despain and Paul Page and Bob Varsha and Jerry Punch and and just you go down the list but there were literally hundreds of people behind the scenes and I always said those people made us look better than we sounded and looked because <laughs> they, they they controlled the cameras and they controlled the audio and and uh, but it was it, it was a great time I wouldn't trade it for the world, even though I'm now 70 years old. And, uh, you know, my, my time in the booth is long gone, uh, but I wouldn't have traded for, for the world because it, we were there and every in the early days we would experiment with things. Uh, and if it worked, we kept it. And if it didn't, uh, you know, we just sort of 
push it off to the side and and move uh -huh. on. But it was it was a great time to be a part of this growing uh, thing called ESPN. Well, I got to tell you, we want that head to still stay within that screen, but we just got to share with you and our listeners. Whenever we did that first show with you about what, 14 months ago, that was one of the very few shows David has missed. David has the best attendance out of Tyler and myself. And when we told Marty was coming on and he'd missed the show, David was devastated. David, David was devastated. There we go. Say that five times really fast. <laughs> but he did say, he goes, when we do get him back, please, you know, we'll, I'll make sure I'm here and I don't want to miss that. And well, I appreciate hey, it. we're happy to have all four of us here on the panel. So David, since, uh, since we've talked to Marty previously and, and, and you missed out, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and, uh, get this thing started for us. Direct where you want the conversation to go with Marty. Where do we want to begin here? Well, you know, Marty, you were just saying that, you know, those days in the booth are are, are behind you. But, man, I, I'm sure somebody handed you a microphone and there was a television camera that said, "Action! You'd you'd be right. You'd be right there. You would you, you would skip a beat." You know, one of the things, Marty. You know, you you had so much knowledge of our sport. And, uh, man, the viewers really enjoyed. I always enjoyed uh, listening to you and to your coverage after the races. I, w I would watch the races, you know, when I got back home. But, man, your, your knowledge of our sport was over the top. And I, and I, and I asked you because I never knew uh, when did your love for racing begin? You know, were you a kid? Uh, was a dad, uncle? How, how did you get involved in racing? And how did you, how did you gain all that knowledge? I mean, were you just. Did you love the sport way before you became a commentator or, um, you know, and, and that that side of you just kind of tell your story. How did how did Marty Reed end up at ESPN in a time that was really so important to to the growth of, of, of American auto racing? You know what I mean? How did all that happen? Well, it, it, it is interesting because uh, – my first exposure was through drag racing. Uh, we used to go down to York US 30 dragway. I grew up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Wow. And York US 30 was where Bruce Larson and the USA One was based. And when he was there, I mean, we all went because, I mean, right. he, was, he was top dog. He was, he was the John Force of Pennsylvania, <laughs> you know, at that time. And uh, uh, so that, that was really my first exposure. And then I started going to races uh, as a teenager at Williams Grove. I started working on a, a pit crew of a, a, a 55 Chevy, you know, and, and uh, it, it just, you know, grows from there. But I got to be honest. I mean, when I went to college, uh, I graduated in 75 from Marietta College. Great school for anybody who wants to go. A uh, little plug for them. But uh, yeah. ESPN was four years away from even being founded. So I, I thought my career was going to be stick and ball, you know, baseball, football, basketball, that kind of thing. And I was doing some AAA baseball in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, Ohio State ice hockey and Ohio State basketball and things like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, 1982 rolls around, three years after ESPN started. And what had happened was the Spring Nationals used to be run in Columbus, Ohio. And Dave McClellan and um, Steve Evans with the Diamond P, P crew. Uh, it was a syndicated show back then. And those guys rolled into town. They saw my work 
uh, I had done a 30 minute special on drag racing where I actually got in a, a, a B Econo dragster and, and went through the licensing process. And we were showing people, you know, just what was going on behind the scenes and how these cars handle and things like that. And what they had seen my work. And in 1982, ESPN decided to do their very first NHRA drag race in Brainerd, Minnesota. And Steve Evans had a conflict and God bless his soul. He recommended me, and it was a job that I never applied for. Um, Terry Lingner's people called me up, and uh, I got paid all of $250 for that first weekend and didn't get the check for about 120 days, uh, but I would have done it for free. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it was it, working with McClellan was a, a real treat, uh, and to end up uh, succeeding him, taking over NHRA when he retired. Uh, at, at that time, if you'd have told me that would have happened, I would have said you're absolutely crazy. But, uh, <laughs> to me, McClellan was going to be in that chair for eternity, and yeah. no, no one will ever match his uh, longevity in that seat. Um, right. But uh, that, that's how it all started. And, and from there, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And, and you ask about uh, the knowledge part. It's, it's literally homework. Um, you, you, you get on the phone. You get down in the pits. Um, how many times did I pester you and your crew yeah. for information? Yeah. You know, you know it, 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 always looking for the story. You know, I've always said my job was a storyteller. It's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And we know it starts with a green flag and it ends with a checkered, but it's all those stories that unfold in between those two periods. And, and that's what we always wanted to do the best part of was, you know, touch as many of those bases as possible. And Terry Lingner was the one that came up with the, the, the theory of let's go where the race is. You know, in other words, if the leader is checked out, well, we're not going to stay on the leader. We're going to go find the race. Where is the action? And, wow. and, and it, it could be all the way back into 15th to 17th to 20th place. Right. But if that's where the action was, that that's where the story was. And the only frustrating part for me was when I would get to the end of a, of a broadcast and something would happen and we'd have to shift gears and go to another story and I would reflect back and, and I'd go, Oh, we never put a period on that story. <laughs> and, 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 and I always felt like that cheated the viewer at home because, right. you know, there's somebody out there who is really a fan of that, that team and that, that truck or that car. Right. They wanted to know what happened. And, and when we fell down on that, that, that was when I was most disappointed. Well, man, you're a uh, man, you're, you're brought, man. The way you did it was was just amazing. You did you did just a phenomenal job. I I loved it when you were part of it, and uh, unbelievable. I guess I have a question. You did so much in your career. Uh, you covered like like we said earlier, all forms of auto racing. Is there a particular story or race that that you're proud of? Uh, you know, you you you've done so much and accomplished so much. Uh, you know, is there something you can share with us that was uh, that stood out? And you know, and you know, I guess you know when Steve Evans gave you the phone call to cover that first NHRA race, you know, as a commentator, and they paid you two hundred fifty bucks, which they almost never paid you in a hundred whatever days. You said, I mean, that that that's that was a big deal. You know, those are dream, you know, memories you'll never forget. I remember my first NASCAR race. I mean, you just like man, you know. But uh, what what are some of the things that that stand out in a guy that's really accomplished everything you probably ever wanted to accomplish as a as a 
commentator, journalist, and all that kind of stuff. What 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 uh what what are some of the big stories? What are you most proud of? Well, the big moments, obviously, uh, the record breaking moments, like Danica Patrick's win at Japan. Yes. Uh, John John Force's one hundredth uh, NHRA victory. Uh, but what most people come up to me and they go, you, you did such a great job when Dan Weldon was killed at Las Vegas. And, and it, it, it just, it, it's never felt right to me. I mean, and, and this is, there's a story behind this. I, I always told our producer, I go, uh, when, whenever I made my first little blip on the air, mistake or, or stumbled, or I, I, I get on the talk back and I go, well, you're stuck with me for another week because I always said if I ever had a perfect show, I'd, I'd retire because there's only one way to go and that would be down. <laughs> and as a, and as a entire broadcast crew, that day we were on a two and a half hours with uh, after Weldon's crash, nobody made an error. And not not the pit reporters, not us in the booth, not the truck, um, and and it was the closest we probably ever came to a perfect show. And it was so sad and ironic, and 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 it's 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 always stuck with me that that one of the saddest moments of my life was one of the most perfect as far as a broadcast. But as far as some of the other stories, uh, one of my favorites, Dan, Dan Gurney. Uh, God, I, I, I love Bernie. Back when, back in the IMSA GTP days, when his Toyotas were just killing the field, and um, they 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 restricted the injectors uh, on the car. So th this little two-liter engine, they choked it down even more. And we're at Atlanta Motor Speedway. They were running the the road course there for the first time. Right, it's just. Uh, there's smoke coming out of his ears. Now, both his cars are running first and second. And, <laughs> and, and I, I go up to him and go, Dan, what's the matter? He goes, Marty, look what they've done to my cars. They're making them breathe through the hole of the hummingbirds rectum. <laughs> and I go, and I, I, I get to on the microphone, I go, send it. And, and I tell that story. And, and Dan later, I can't show it to you. There's a, there's a, well, let me see if you can get that. See that poster right there? I see it. Yeah. That is the two cars. And Dan signed it, said, these are the cars that had to breathe through the hole the size of the <laughs> But the, the other one that I'm, that, that most people, I, I'm sure all of them forget. Um, we were at Portland International Raceway and Fangio, Juan Manuel Fangio is supposed to win the championship and he's out in front and PJ Jones in his first year is in yeah. second place and um, they, they decide to do pit stops. So they bring uh, Fangio in first and they get him out and then all of a sudden they bring PJ in the next lap and the pit crew does an excellent job and they actually get him out in front of Juan. And we all knew what the strategy was. So I go, I go up to Dan and I go, uh, did something go wrong here? I mean, I thought the plan was that Juan was supposed to go. He goes, yeah, he's, he, he, literally, we're live on the air. He goes, yeah. He says, uh, I guess it, the plan didn't go quite as, as I, I anticipated. He goes, I said, what, what are you going to do? He goes, well, I, I haven't done such a good job. What do you think we should do? And he literally asked me this. Said, you serious? He goes, yeah. He says, I'm not doing a very good job right now. I said, well, let's see. PJ's doing his job, right? Yeah. 
pit crew did their job, right? Yeah. I said, I think we all let the kid go win his first race. He said, okay, that's what we're doing. And PJ went out and won his first race. I mean, that's the kind of guy yeah, he was. That's awesome. What a story, uh, Marty, uh, you know, I, I love the nostalgia going on in this show because, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of talk about the good old days just in NASCAR right now since they they launched the the new NASCAR Classic Series with uh, where you can go back into the archives and see all these old races. And there's a lot of them that you called that, that people can have direct access to now and part of NASCAR's 75th anniversary season. And you, you mentioned some of the moments earlier. What about some of the individuals that you covered and called? I mean, you saw everybody, all the heavy hitters from Dale Sr. to Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr., Jimmy Johnson. You know, we mentioned John Force, uh, you know, all the IndyCar stars as well. What, what are some of the kind of taking a step back? Who were some of your favorite individuals and what were maybe some good stories of uh, some times that you had with uh, with some of these uh, larger-than-life figures that were, uh, you know, the faces of motorsports for so many years? Well, uh, you can't go very far without talking about force. I mean, uh, <laughs> this guy is 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 – the needle is pegged from the minute he's in the car to the minute he gets out of the car to the minute he gets in front of the microphone. And and I, I'll never forget, he, he, he go. We, we were at, at a race, and, and I, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. So you're Yes, you to, are. Go ahead. Okay. Well, you're going to have to – if not, you're going to have to bleep this stuff because he, he literally gets out of the car, and he is so amped up. He goes, oh, my God. Oh, this is just fantastic. I can't believe we did this again. The car wasn't ready to go. I can't believe we got down there. Oh, shit. Oh, I'm not supposed to say shit. Oh, shit. Shit. I said shit. <laughs> I mean, they just kept going. And, 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 and the guys in the truck are trying to hit the button and we're not succeeding very very well but um he, he was always a character um believe it or not one of the most intense was danica whenever it was time to to get into the car i mean it, it, don't talk to her um don't don't even get close to her it was like it, the, the blinders were on and she could have been running the kentucky derby i mean it was you know full speed straight ahead um some of the others uh, you know th there literally is a litany of of, of people i mean y y when you get to rub elbows with some of the greatest people that have, have been in all forms of motorsports um and it's not just the, the the people on the track i i did the reno air races several years um and Guess who one of my uh, color analysts was? Third man who walked on the moon, Pete Conrad. Wow. Now, you want to hear some stories. Yes. I mean, you know, it was like, okay, I'm just going to shut up and listen. <laughs> and and, and you know, it, it, those are the things that, 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 that always stuck with me. It wasn't about me. It was always about what can I ask that draws these people out and makes the viewer at home feel like, wow, I didn't know that before. Right. For example, one of my one of my favorites uh, with Austin Coyle, who was John Force's crew chief for uh, his ten championships in a row. He always went to the starting line with a toothpick, and and I I go up to him between runs and I go, you know, I've I've been meaning to ask you why do you have this toothpick in your mouth? And he had this sort of tinny voice and 
It's Marty. He goes, well, I used to smoke cigars, but got up there and I realized I might blow myself up. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it, it's those little tidbits that the viewer at home might go, well, I, I, you know, it might not be a belly laugh, but it was something <laughs> that they didn't know before. And that was always what I was trying to do. And, 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 and that's what made drag racing different from every other form of motorsport I ever covered because in drag racing, they're on the track for two and a half minutes and they're in the pits for two hours. And you guys, whether it's NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, you're on the track for two hours and we might get lucky to get about two minutes with you guys because you got right, right. sponsor commitments and all this other stuff. And, and that's what made uh, 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 drag racing so much fun and, and different from, from some of the others because you really got to, to spend time with people. Man, Marty, I was, uh, you know, I had races a day there in Las Vegas when Dan, when we lost Dan Weldon. And, uh, man, looking back on it, uh, you know, uh, you know, I didn't realize that, you, that man, that, that had been probably one of the, uh, even though that was uh, probably one of the saddest days for lots of people, including yourself and your colleagues, uh, and and then to do it perfectly, man, that that had to be one probably one of the toughest uh, telecasts that you ever had to be part of. It was, um, yeah. <clears throat> and, and the sad part about it is, it, it wasn't the only time. I mean, uh, I was there when Daryl Russell was killed at St. Louis uh, when wow. the wing snapped, and and uh, you know, and he was killed. And, and I mean, I was I was in Imola when Ayrton Senna was killed. Really? Uh, yep. Yeah, I wow. was over there, and uh, I was covering the Porsche Super Cup and combination with F1, and and uh, so you know, yeah, I mean, it 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 was the hardest part of this job, uh, um, and and you never get over it, and you never forget, and you just uh, you you try and remember who's on the other end of that tube that's watching you. Uh, you, 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 at the time you think about family, you think about, uh, you know, people who care about this, this individual and you want to make sure you don't make a damn mistake. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Wow. Well, man, you, uh, so what have you been doing all these years, man? You, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you, you, I know you, you, you're always a busy guy and, uh, you know, ESPN, you know, they kind of. Uh, you know, they did so much for NASCAR and all, for, all, all forms of auto racing, you know, and then, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of you guys that were that were, you know, a, a normal figure or face on television for years and years. And and then all of a sudden that changed. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, towards the end and what happened and, and then what you've been doing the last, you know, 10, 12 years or whatever, however long it's been. Well, it, it, television is a business where you, I always jokingly said this, but but I knew it from the very beginning. There's a day when you become too old, too bald, too fat, too dumb, too ugly, and too expensive, and they get rid of you. And um, and that happened to, to, you know, when your contract runs out or whatever the, the circumstances are. You know, I remember Jerry Punch called me after I, I left and and he goes, what the hell's going on? I said, Doc, you better get ready. You're next. And I, he says, what do you mean? I said, well, look, let me ask you this question. When has anybody gotten a gold watch and a going away party? 
And he goes, <laughs> oh, my God, you're right. And and it it, it, did, it didn't happen for Bob Jenkins. It didn't happen for Paul Page. It didn't happen for me. It didn't happen for Doc. It's not going to happen for Lee Diffie. It's not going to happen to any of them. You know, it, that's part of the deal. I mean, we're no different than any other business in, in America. When when the, they can get somebody younger and cheaper and better looking and, and they feel like they need to make a change for whatever the reason, they're going to do it. And because everybody that comes in at a higher level has to justify their position. And that that's okay. That's part of the deal. Uh, right. I, I mean, I, I had 31 wonderful years. I mean, I, I have nothing to complain about. I lived what I set out to do. I wanted to be in broadcasting from the time I was 15. I did not know at that time that it would be motorsports. Like I said, right. I, thought, I thought it'd be stick and ball. Right. But, um, it, it, it turned out to be motor racing and, and, Man, I'm, I, I've never looked backwards. I, I'm, I'm still going forward. And as far as what I'm doing now is, excuse me, um, uh, believe it or not, I tried retirement. And as I told the guys earlier before you got here, uh, it's highly overrated. Um, and, and, but I, I but I didn't want to start another company because I, di I didn't want to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And um so my wife and I, the last three, four years, we had a motorhome and we were driving to the races because to me, the, the job was the travel. I hated, I got to the point where I just hated flying. In fact, in 10 years since I came off air, I've been on an airplane seven times. Wow. That's how much I hate flying. I'll, right. I'd rather drive. So anyway, we had our own motorhome. So we were driving race to race and having a good time and, and seeing friends and doing sightseeing and all that stuff. So anyway, I was sitting around and, and my, our community needed school bus drivers, like every community does. And this was yes. seven years ago. I'm in my seventh year of driving a school bus uh, in, in Brownsburg Community School Corporation. And and one and I, this is a true story. One of my former colleagues, I don't want to throw him under the bus, no joke right. intended. Um, <laughs> we're talking and he goes, he, I could tell by the tone of his voice, he was going, you're doing what? And I said, let me ask you a question. I said, how many millions of people have we talked to over the years? And he goes, oh, my God. I go, yeah, right. And I said, how many of those people were we responsible for their lives? And he goes, well, none. And I go, well, I'm going to tell you something. Every day between my middle school and my elementary school, I've got 130 kids who their moms, their dads, their brothers and their sisters and grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles, they're all counting on me to get little Johnny to and from school safely. And I gotta tell you, it is one hell of a rewarding feeling when that last child gets off in the afternoon. And for seven years, that feeling has stayed the same. And it, it, it anybody who's looking for something that they wanna give back to their community, cause boy, it doesn't pay squat. I mean, it, it's a terrible paying job and it's a split shift. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it but I, I'm gonna tell you the reward that you get Every time that those parents see their little kid coming off that bus, it, it's worth every moment of it. Well, and, and, and I got to imagine, Marty, you know, uh, how rewarding it is. We, we You mentioned just how important it is with, with the kids, you know, to their, their parents and their siblings. I mean, I don't think that can be understated here. It's just the value. I mean, I mean, personally, uh, I, I know firsthand, you know, I'd, I rode the bus as a kid, you know, I, I, I saw my bus driver run over my own dog as a kid, you know I Ooh. mean? It was, it was mortifying, but 
it made me value the good bus drivers I had. All of a sudden, didn't take that for granted, you know, uh, so much, you know, afterwards. You know, I mean, it's it's a big deal what you guys do, and it's a kind of a thankless job of sorts, too. I, I haven't run over anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Marty, all I can say, man, you're a good man, sir. You're a good man. You uh, well, but You know, it, 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 it's not me. I mean, it, it's it's the way I was brought up. Yes, you sir. Know, we, we are products of our environment. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't think the, the people that touch our lives get enough credit um, because it, it's a collective. It's things that we learn as we go along. I mean, I, I, I'm not the same person I was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. I mean, when I came out of college, I was full of piss, vim, and vinegar, and I thought I was going <laughs> to play the world. And, you know, we all knew everything when we were that age. And yeah. then you start realizing you don't know dilly squat. And then you start yeah. sitting there realizing, I better listen to this guy and that person. And, you know, you learn. And 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 if you, you learn enough, maybe you become – a decent person and that's that's all i've ever tried to be is is uh, uh, that decent guy that's well, great I, I, I think you i think you've won buddy you have won the race no doubt about it the uh interesting i i uh you know man it's it's amazing the responsibilities that you have for seven years you know those you know making sure those kids get to school safely get home safe uh it, it's just man it, 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 you know the the gratitude and, and the feeling you get to to you know to to do that job but, but uh man it, it's kind of interesting because how many parents and kids know that freaking marty reed is our freaking bus driver they know who you are um, you know what i mean i mean i, I don't i don't know i i've, I mean, I've never i've never to me it, it that's that's not know, what it's about. No, no, it's not what it's about. I, I and I, and you're a great man. Like I said, I, I love it. It's a great story. But you know, you know, I don't. In seven years, does anybody say Marty? Has anybody ever said, "Man, you know"? Oh, I've had parents. I, yeah, I have yeah. Parents. yeah, I have. I have parents that. I mean, in fact, um, uh, a member of the Bentonhausen family from IndyCar fame. His two kids are on my bus. So, I mean, he knows who I am and, and we've had some wonderful conversations about racing and we, we trade stories. But, uh, yeah, I mean, th th there are others that have Googled my name and, you know, yeah. they, they see what's that, what's happening. But um, I, again, I mean, you, you know, it, it, I, I, I can't stress it enough. If there's somebody out there in your viewership that is looking for some way to give back, I mean, look into this. I mean, it. Yeah, there's times when the kids are real noisy and you got to calm them down. And, you know, they're, occasionally they're, you're going to have a kid that's going to act up and you got to, you know, have some discipline involved. But 95% of the time, it, it's, it's a hoot. I mean, and some of them are so sweet. I mean, oh. the cards they give you and, that, you know, the things they, you're the best bus driver ever. And they're just <laughs> learning how to print. And, yeah. and the letters, the letters are, are backwards sometimes. And I, I save a lot of those things just for, for the fun of it. That's, that's great. A, that's a Marty. Uh, I, you, Marty mentioned something, Tyler, I want to ask him about it. You mentioned the Bittenhausen family. You know, when I was a kid born, uh, my dad was a crew chief for Tony Bittenhausen Jr. Oh, and Tony Bittenhausen. Small world. Small world, man. Tony Bittenhausen Jr. had come to Houston, Texas. Uh, a guy named Gordon Van Lue that owned Vita Fresh Orange Juice brought him down there to race Indy cars. But 
the, uh, to not Indy cars, to start his stock car career. My dad was his crew chief, along with another guy named Ronnie Chumley. But Gordon Van Lue, that owned Vita Fresh Orange Juice, have Indy cars that ran in the Indianapolis 500. You know, and obviously, you know how strong the Bittenhausen name is around Indy cars and the Indy 500. But what a what a small world at times, you know. So unbelievable. Gets smaller every day. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. Oh. Let me ask you one more thing, Marty, and then we can uh, move on to our uh, news and notes segment for this week. Uh, you know, as as a broadcaster, this this is a broadcast nerd question here for you. Um, you we mentioned some of the stuff you've covered from the Indianapolis 500, uh, you know, the NASCAR championship race at Homestead, and all these things here. How do you make every race feel important? Because obviously, there's a difference between the NASCAR Super Truck Jiffy Lube 200 compared to the Indianapolis 500. How do you make every race, every event you do, how'd you do that over the years, seem like a big deal to the viewer at home? Let me ask you this. Is tomorrow more important than today? Yes. Whatever you do tomorrow, whatever you do tomorrow, is it more important than you do today? Yes. There's your answer. That's the way I went into every broadcast. That race is more important than anything I've done prior. Now, tomorrow's race or the next week will be more important than this one. But that was the that was my focus. In other words, everything from the time I knew what my assignment was for, for you know, that week or the month or whatever, uh, that's where everything was focused on that particular week. And then once those stories were developed and those stories were told and we put those away, now we shift gears and we go to the next one. And if the history becomes part of the story, well, then you pull that history in to make it better. But tomorrow's more important than today when it comes to broadcasting. Wow. Oh, it's like when, when I worked at the NBC affiliate in Albuquerque, New Mexico, full-time for a couple of years, I remember our news director, she asked us one time, we're mapping out the, the coverage for the day, the 5, the 6, 6.30, and the 10 o'clock newscast. And she asks us all, what is the most important newscast? And people, oh, the 10, that's the most ratings. Or, oh, the, the, the six o'clock, that's where the mothers are tuning. And she goes, no, no, no. The next broadcast right. is the most important. Wow. Right. And it, as, long as, as long as you can get that focus, um, it, it, you tune everything else out. I mean, you know, it, 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 it really becomes, a, again, like putting blinders on. And, and this race is my race. It's my responsibility to make it as informative and as entertaining as possible. And if I succeed, great. And if I fail, well, then I better do something to correct it for the next week. That's great. Tyler, great. We, got, we got time for one more question to Marty. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we move on, go ahead. Okay. Hey, uh, Marty, uh, <clears throat> man, you, you've seen so much, all your broadcasts, all these years. Uh do you still tune in to the Indianapolis 500, the Daytona 500, watch John Force? I mean, how how do you – are you still a, a fan of 
of the sport. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, uh, you know, how does, how does that, I guess that's a question for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fair. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. still a fan. I mean, uh, I went over to, to Indianapolis, uh, raceway park when, uh, the U S nationals were here. I got to catch up with snake and, yeah. and uh, Ron caps and, and, uh, with the, 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 the car that they put together in honor of Perdome's 50th year there. And, right. and, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I still watch on TV. I, I, I watch. I'm a better viewer on television. I, I, I never was good sitting in the stands because right. when you're when you're the storyteller and you have all this information in front of you with you know screens that show you who's running and what position and what their last lap time was and when was their last right. pit stop. And then all of a sudden you're sitting in the stands and you're wondering, whoa, give me some information, you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, so I, I'm not a good spectator in the stands, but yeah, I I, I still watch the shows and and I I still you know I, I look at the broadcasts and I know some of the people still that are are producing some of these shows or being involved and right. and, and it's fun you know watching them go through the, some of the hoops that we used to go through. You know the the fun part is 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 when I know just how close they were to having a major catastrophe, but you guys at home didn't know. <laughs> and, and, we, we had that happen a lot. That's awesome. But yeah, man. I'm still a fan. Still a yeah, fan. That's, that's wonderful. That's great. Well, Marty's going to stick around with us. Uh, we're going to get to our news and notes. And then we got uh, some questions that uh, viewers have sent in for David and Marty that we'll get to coming up at the end of the show. But let's begin with uh, – a look at our news and notes, latest headlines in the world of motorsports. Dominic uh, takes us from here. So on Tuesday, September 12th, NASCAR releases its penalty report for the week. And in that penalty report, it revealed that they have reinstated driver Noah Gregson. Gregson was indefinitely suspended from NASCAR in early August after the liking of a social media post with the, the surrounding death of George Floyd. And after that had resurfaced, Noah Gregson was yanked from the ride, ultimately resigned from his position at Legacy Motor Club, but he is reinstated with NASCAR. There's no word on his current plans at the time of this show, but Tyler ran 21 races this year, ran for Rookie of the Year. Got to imagine Gregson's going to land on his feet somewhere in 2024. Yeah, this season wasn't going the way he wanted to, but, I mean, he's a talented driver. Uh, he made a mistake. He's human. Uh Moves on from here. Hopefully, he rebounds from it and uh, you know gets on the uh, the right path of some sorts. Uh, we've seen guys that when they get a second chance, like Kyle Larson, just flourish and, and take off. And uh, David, I, I wish nothing but the best for for Noah Gregson as he moves on from this next chapter and hopefully uh, things move forward from here. Great race car driver. Great race car driver. You look at all the races he won on the Xfinity side. Deserved the opportunity to race in Cup. Uh, you know, and hey, young, young kid with lots of talent, made a mistake and, uh, you know, he'll land on his feet. Uh, you'll see him back in a good competitive, with a good competitive racing team. You'll see him winning races again. Be interesting to see if he, if he comes back to the Xfinity Series and races with us and, and kind of uh, starts that process over again. Uh, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll, he'll probably be involved in the silly season for next, next year's. There's opportunities, uh, but, you know, I think the future's big for Noah Gregson. And, uh, hey, man, everybody deserves a second chance. Uh, he's a young kid, has a lot of talent, and uh, he made a mistake, and I think he'll come back even better, even better race car driver and a better person. 
Marty, uh, we've seen some of these uh, redemption stories in the past. Uh, hopefully, uh, better days are ahead here for uh, for Noah Gregson. He learns from this and goes from here. Well, I, I, what I like is the fact that everybody will make mistakes. And, and if we're going to judge, let's not be judged. Um, you know, everybody deserves a second chance. Now you screw up a second time. Well, then you, you, you probably deserve everything that's going to come down on you because it, it, it's, it's not rocket science. You know, you, you, you get this avalanche of criticism and, and critique. And if you don't learn from it, well, and then you're, you're you're doomed to repeat it, and then you're going to blow up your whole career. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles things down the road, um, and and uh, I, I wish nothing but the best. Yeah, certainly. Uh, so on that, Dollar, what else we got going on? Well, the last few road course races in the Cup Series have seen caution-free stage endings but that's about to change alton sawyer with nascar announced on sirius xm on tuesday september 12th that stage cautions will be returning for the nascar cup series race at the charlotte road course race otherwise known as the roval in october so we saw the, the remnants of watkins Glen, indianapolis road course where there were no cautions around the stages and the race kind of just played out naturally but that will not be the case for the playoff race, Tyler. So you, you got to imagine NASCAR changing the rules this late in the season, what the end game could be with this. NASCAR changing rules? No, <laughs> to say it isn't so. David, uh, I, I I hate this. I, I loved seeing clean, good racing, things going caution-free, and these guys you know, not, being not having these – Force cautions like this, let the race play out naturally. Races were going quick on those road courses. I, I honestly think this is a mistake by NASCAR. What do you think? Well, man, you got to understand as a competitor or a driver, you know, this depends on, you know, that particular day, that race, you know, what kind of car you got. If you're very competitive running up near the front, uh, you know, you, you want to, you want it to be the, uh, old, you know, you want, you don't want the rule change. You don't want to see cautions for, for a stage in, you know, but, uh, you know, and, and if you're not having a very good day, you need to make some adjustments, you know, those stage ending cautions were, you know, are, are savers, you know, it gives you another opportunity to work on your race cars, makes adjustments, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, I can see, uh, you know, and, Really, the road courses that we've seen, and, you know, you mentioned a couple of them, you know, the long runs, somewhat, uh, it's a clean race, a faster race. But from a stand standpoint and from your audience, show business, you, you kind of want to bring them together, throw a cost in at the end of the first stage and bring the cars back together. And you got a little bit more action. So, you know. Uh, I, I can see the pros and cons of both sides of it, you know, with some people will, will make the, you know, will make the argument that NASCAR shouldn't be changing the rules towards the end of the season. But, you know, you know, I think NASCAR really, uh, they're always looking, uh, to make sure, you know, that they're making these changes for the betterment of the sport, your viewers. Uh, it's a tough one, you know, it's a tough one, but, uh, but I, I somewhat agree with them, and uh, I'm okay with it. Marty, uh, what do you think about this uh, decision here uh, by NASCAR? 
put the story <laughs> on. You're you're asking the wrong guy about stage racing because uh, first <laughs> off, the the reason the cautions are tossed is for television. They got to get their dollars. They got to get their sponsors in. Um, if you go back and you check on the old NASCAR Now programs years before, I pr proposed a, a concept uh, with Jeff, and Jeff Burton was the guest of the day, and he told me I was absolutely insane. But my concept was. Let's take a 200-lap race and divide it into four 50-lap segments. And then you give 25% of the points based on where you're running at that time when lap 50, 100, 150, and 200 come up. The winner gets a bonus, 10, 20 extra points. You do not stop the race. You let the race go. And, and now you wouldn't have people taking the old NASCAR nap or going out to mow the yard. So after watching the start and then coming back to watch the end of the race. Uh, and as I said, Jeff, literally, if you, you, you go dig up the video, he, he, he said that's the most insane thing he's ever heard. Um, and yet now he's a big advocate of uh, stage racing. But <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just, I, to me, you, you don't stop the race. I've, I've never been a fan of this. I, I, I felt like, you know, my idea may, may need some tweaking, but it, it, it would certainly changes your strategy because now if you knew, let's say you got uh, 30 laps on a tank of fuel and now, you know, points are coming up at lap 50. Uh, when do you pit? You know, it's going to change everybody's strategy. It, you, you would bring so much back into the race if we didn't stop it. Uh, instead of just racing to this caution flag and then everybody pits and then we start up again. I mean, if we're going to do that, let's just go back to good old sprint car racing and do heat races, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm, there's going to be some fans that are going to disagree with me, but I am not a fan of stage racing. I, I, I totally get where you're coming from, Marty. Uh, it's, it, it's frustrating to go this route, but uh as as you mentioned for TV, it's basically like a TV timeout, essentially, right. and we see in, in other sports. So, yeah, uh, for sure. Dominic, uh, one driver change that uh, we anticipated, but we needed to see what would happen with Denny Hamlin first for this domino to officially fall. Maybe the worst-kept secret or one of the worst-kept secrets of the last month or so, but John Hunter Nemechek announced on his YouTube page late last week that he will be, in fact, returning to the NASCAR Cup Series and taking over the number 42 car at Legacy Motor Club. As the team transitions over to Toyota Racing Development, John Hunter Imachak has taken the leap of faith back to the Cup Series. He ran Cup Series full-time last in 2020 with Front Row Motorsports, since then ran in trucks, ran currently with the NASCAR Xfinity Series with Joe Gibbs Racing, and is the probably odds-on favorite to win the championship, but certainly a... Redemption story of sorts to see John Hunter Nemechek return to the Cup Series. And, and Tyler, I got to say, it looks like a lot better deal this time around. Front Row Motorsports still building in 2019 and 2020. And we're seeing Legacy Motor Club to build. But when you have that relationship with Toyota and moving up to the Cup Series, it feels a little different this time around. Yeah. Uh, TRD is going to give Legacy Motor Club everything they need and then sub to compete at a high level. John Hunter Nemechek has been terrific this year in the Xfinity Series. I think he'll do well. And, and, and Marty, uh, 
another traditional name in back of the Cup Series. I mean, we know about Chase Elliott. Now you bring in John Hunter Nemechek, uh, carrying on uh, his dad's name, who who was in the Cup Series for such a long time. Yeah, and and you just reminded me that that makes me old because uh, you know I come <laughs> so. So uh, I, I'm happy for the guy. I mean, you know, I, I, lo I love the legacies that, that keep passing down, you know, and, and uh, it, it's great for the sport. And I think it, uh, it helps the fan base. Uh, David, uh, Legacy Motor Club, Eric Jones in one car, John Hunter Nemechek in the other, Jimmy Johnson part-time. Sounds like Jimmy's going to run 10 races next year. Uh, what do you make of these uh, changes there at Legacy Motor Club entering 2024? Very interesting, you know what I mean, for them to to uh, be switching manufacturers, going to Toyota. You know, I, I think uh, it's a it's a smart move. Toyota's committed. You know, I mean, kind of interesting. You 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 think if Jimmy Johnson was part of it, seven time champion Jimmy Johnson won seven championships with Chevrolet. It's interesting for him to be. You know, I don't know what percentage of ownership he has in his own Cup team now. Uh, but, uh, you know, to see the changeover from a manufacturer standpoint, uh, I was impressed this past weekend because, you know, Marty can tell you, I think we all know that, you know, they they uh, they announced uh, that they'd be switching manufacturers for the 2024 season. And when you when you announce that publicly, you know that, you know, GM, Chevrolet probably not bending over backwards to make sure that team's getting all the resources and everything they can get to make sure they end up in victory lane again, you know. They're probably focusing on their teams where the future is bright, you know what I mean? And that's not with Jimmy Johnson's team, uh, with Legacy. Uh, but, man, Eric Jones did have a heck of a race Sunday afternoon. Uh, I think, where he finished third, second? Where'd he end up? Place, yeah. Best finish for so, Legacy Motor I mean, Club this year. Yeah, and uh, that was a strong run and won the, won the Darlington race last year towards the end of the season. Uh, I think uh, with Don, John Hummer Nemechek joining the team and with what we know that Toyota is going to bring to the table that, you know, I don't know how long it'll take, but you'll see that team, obviously, with Jimmy Johnson and the resources they have. I don't think it'll be long until you see them back in victory lane, uh, in, you know, early on in the 2024 season. Yeah. And, uh, Mari Gallagher, their, uh, primary owner is, uh, moving on from the truck operation and, uh, all focus turns towards that cup team. Uh, their legacy motor club. So it'd be certainly something to follow there. Uh, Dominic, what else we got? So before we move on to everyone's favorite segment, we got to take a little closer look at Bristol. So I'll be a little long winded here. I'll try to shorten it up, but we're going to first go over some of your playoff pictures heading into Bristol, being a cutoff race, and then into the odds for this weekend. So we know two drivers are advancing along, Kyle Larson and Tyler Reddick. Hamlin, Byron, Keselowski at over half a race ahead, 33 points or more above the cut line. Here's where it gets a little interesting, though. Ryan Blaney, plus 25 points. Kyle Busch, plus 24 points. Ross Chastain in eighth at plus 18 points. And as you work closer to that cutoff line, last year's winner of this race, Chris Buescher, who's won three races this year. He's only 13 points above the cut line. Christopher Bell in the same spot at plus 13. Last year's champion, Joey Logano at plus 12. Kevin Harvick in his final year and winless thus far in 23 at plus 7. Now, like we talked about earlier in the show, Martin Truex Jr. sitting at minus 7, 13th on the playoff grid. And then Bubba Wallace at minus 19, 
Ricky Stenhouse at minus 22 points. And then sitting at the bottom is Michael McDowell, a 40-point deficit. Certainly a must-win, virtual must-win situation for the 34 team. And now we move on to our odds for the Bristol Night Race. You, you look at the odds-on favorites, no surprise. Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin towards the top of the charts at seven and a half to one and five and a half to one, respectively. Christopher Bell, who won this race in the spring, granted it was the dirt track, sitting at eight to one. Brad Keselowski, who remains winless at eight and a half to one. And last year's winner, Chris Buescher, sitting at 12 to one. And the highest non-playoff driver, Chase Elliott at 10 to one. And your long shot of all the playoff contenders, Michael McDowell at 100 to one. Vegas still underestimating Chris Buescher. When will they learn? Uh, Dominic, go ahead and just get that uh, that ticket ready. Go cash it on uh, Chris Chris Buescher. Uh, you can't pass on that those odds. Twelve to one. Goodness. Um, with that said, let's start with the playoff picture here. Marty, uh, some championship drivers on the verge of potentially being eliminated in the first round. We're talking Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex. I mean. Those guys don't make it out. I mean, and this being Harvick's final season and everything, I mean, uh, that'd be an unfortunate way for him to go. Uh, I would hate to see him get eliminated in the first round in his final playoff here. I'm sure there's a lot of people who feel the same. I mean, Truex is the one that surprises me. I mean, uh, I, I just didn't expect that, that to, to be in this position. Um, y y that's the, the, the thing about the, the way the playoffs work. I mean, it, all it takes is one – bad race and and you find yourself in the hole trying to dig your way out and uh we'll see what happens but uh yeah I, i've got a gut feeling that, that truex is going to find a way in um it'll be interesting to see how it how it pans out this week david uh you think martin truex uh gets out of this round well i kind of i'm kind of you know i agree with marty uh, I think Truex will make its way out. I mean, you look at Truex and and that Joe Gibbs Racing operation. That's a championship caliper, you know. That, man, they're, that's a championship caliper team. I'm surprised to see them in this situation, but it only takes having bad luck, you know, which he had with the right rear tire going down here last week in Kansas. And uh, and man, it's just the product of how the playoffs are structured, you know. But I. Uh, but I feel like Martin Truex uh, will have a great race Saturday night, and he'll 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 make the cut, you know. And then you mentioned Kevin Harvick. Harvick's had a lot of speed this year, but man, just circumstances, you know, it just hasn't. The race hasn't always played out into his favor. Uh, uh, I'd like to see Harvick make it because it's his last year. I'd like to see him continued and go as far as he can go but man he uh you know it's it's going to be an interesting race Saturday night because there's a lot at stake you know and uh but I'd like to see Harvick make it. it it'll be interesting to see who makes it who doesn't it's going to be exciting it's Bristol baby I mean you know just being at Bristol anyway is exciting you know so uh it'll be interesting how to see how the race plays out and who makes it in that's for sure oh definitely uh yeah I, I, I cannot wait uh Dominic, uh, on the Truex point, as the regular season champion and all those points he collected in the regular season, just getting out of this is the main goal for him. Like, once they get to the next round, points reset and all that, like, he'll be okay. He's just got to find a way to get out of this round, right? Oh, it, certainly. Kansas was a fluke. Wrecking on lap four the way he did, finishing last place. Of course, that could have happened to anybody. Just 
odd and unusual circumstance of the tire puncture being towed back when he didn't want to be towed back. Your whole season derailed by a miscommunication, uh, something out of your own control. Very, very weird circumstances. Yet, Tyler, they get out of Bristol. They collect stage points. They start up front. They run well. All is forgiven. This will be a short-term memory thing. And like you said, the points reset, and he's back towards the top of the seating. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be something to follow there as far as that goes. Uh, heading to Bristol and everything. Marty, you, you've been there many times. Uh, what comes to mind? What 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 gets you excited about uh, about that place? What makes Bristol special? You can't hear yourself. <laughs> Literally, I, I, I used to go down to try and talk to people, and I had to get out of there because I would have no voice by the time we were supposed to go on the air because you had to talk so loud with that, that the cacophony of, of, of noise. You know, the thing that makes Bristol Bristol is, is you know, you were talking about this this tight little high banked oval that, that uh, you know, everybody's going to lean on each other. And when it comes push to shove time, uh, you better be manning up and get the elbows up because you know what's coming. And mm -hmm. and I think that's what the fans love about that place is that, you know, it it it, it brings out the aggression when you need to, to bring it out. I mean, it's either you're going to either advance or you're going to put it on the trailer. Take your choice. Yeah. Um, and, and David, uh, you were a part of the intensity of a, a playoff cup race leading a lap at Bristol in 2011. You recall that experience, what that was like? Oh, man, just, you know, just racing there last year. It was just awesome, you know. It's just it's it's challenging for you know uh you know you just don't want to change you don't want to mess the race up you know what i mean there's a, you know everybody wants to race to win and not a, you know i don't know for me personally when i was in that race i uh one of the things that was important to me and the spotter said hey man we're going to race our tail off but we're going to have respect to the for the leaders and we just don't want to you know what you don't want to do is screw up and take one of the one of the guys out that's trying to advance or, or mess somebody's race up. You know what I mean? So my my goal was was to race my tail off, but you know respectfully to the people that earned the right to be uh, running for a championship. You know what I mean? So it was always a little bit of a challenge when you're racing those playoff races because of that. You know what I mean? But uh, but you know I, I it was awesome. I loved it. Bristol's fun, man, because. Like Marty says, man, you got to man up at times. You know what's coming, and got to get those elbows up and try to try to be ready for it. And sometimes, man, if you can't get by the pot, can't make the pass on the guy, you're you know you get frustrated, and you might use the bumper a little bit, get physical. But man, it's uh, you know, it's on the bottom, it's in the middle, it's up on the wall. It's just God, it's exciting. You know what I mean? I uh, you know, I I can't believe that I won't be there racing Friday night, but I will be next year. You know what I mean? I won't. I'm not mess the race this year, and it, it somewhat I can't even watch it because it hurts so bad. I can't even believe I won't be there racing. You know what I mean? But it's just a it's a special place, and uh, man, it, it's awesome. The fans love it, the competitors love it, and and you know, it's it's just a good short track race, and it gets physical a lot. You know? Oh yeah. You, you can't beat it. Uh, no. Let's go ahead and make our picks real quick. I already gave mine away. I'm going to go with Chris Buescher to get win number four this year and cash in on that 12-to-1 odds, steal that money from Vegas. 
Uh, Dominic, uh, you're the gambler among us here. What's uh, what's the bet? Who you uh, who you picking this week? Man, I got to think Denny Hamlin at Bristol, and I picked him a lot this year, and he finished second at Kansas in the pick last week. But that 11 team is just coming on strong. I really feel like it's that Bobby Allison type of twilight finish to his career, win that championship towards the end of it. And we're seeing Denny Hamlin on a championship run. He gets win number three at Bristol, win number 51. All right, uh, Marty, who, who do you think gets it down to Bristol here? Oh, geez. You know, <laughs> I, I don't pick because <laughs> when I was on the air, people would say, who do you favor? It's not my job to pay for anybody. It's my job to tell the story. I, <laughs> you know what? I, I want I want an exciting race. I want a clean race. Exactly what David's talking about. If, if the guys up front that are challenging for the championship want to bang each other to death, okay, have at it. But everybody else, stay the hell out of the way. Let the, the contenders go for it, for it and, and let's see where the dominoes fall and may the best man win. All right, uh, David, how about you? Man, I agree with Marty, but I, I'll, I'll go ahead and just pick Kevin Harvick. You know, it's his last race there. You know, I remember, was it last year or two years ago, uh, you know, uh, Kevin and Chase got kind of got into it. Chase, Chase hit Harvick. He was leading. I don't even remember, but a little bit of drama there. But, you know, Harvick's last time at, at, at Bristol, like to see, you know, don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm, I'm going to go with Kevin Harvick. There you go. That's our uh, picks for this week. Uh, up next, our Ask David segment. We ask you to submit questions to us on uh, Facebook and Twitter at Star Podcast. Also by email, davidstarpodcast at gmail.com is uh, where you can send your questions to us each and every week. And uh, the first question in the inbox uh, this week, it comes from Carol. Carol wants to know, Marty, what is your best Dale Sr. story? Jeez. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> believe, it, believe it or not, I mean, the, the, the interchanges that I had with Dale, it, they, they weren't, in an atmosphere where it was conducive to, to getting, you know, something humorous or, or it, it, I was going back to what we were talking about. There was so much demand on his time um, that, that I, I always felt like, you know, I don't want to take up more than I needed. And, and so I was always direct to the point. It was never about uh, how's the family, you know, what's going on off the track. It was, you know, Get, get to the point because this guy's got a thousand people pulling at him. Um, I, I can tell you this. Um, I, when I, the, the very first time I ever ran into him, um, he didn't know me from Adam. Um, and, and he treated me like I, I was, you know, part of the family. I mean, what, what do you need? You know, tell me what, 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 what do you need? And I said, I just need two minutes of your time. He said, well, let's have at it. And, and he gave me exactly what I needed. And, and we went on from there. Um, and, 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 and it, 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 you know, it, that stuck with me because I, I've, I've run into a lot of other people over the course of time that uh, wouldn't give you the time of day. Yeah. David, did you ever have any interactions with Dale Senior? I never did. You know, right when uh, early years, uh, 96 and I was uh, messing a little bit in the Bush series in the Bush series then uh, with Donnie Allison uh, you know Donnie and Dylan Hart senior were great friends you know what I mean and uh, I remember uh, you know uh, Dale senior coming over and, and visiting with Donnie and I just 
I stood back in awe, you know what I mean? And uh, it was, it was, it was amazing. But me personally, I never did. I never had any actions with uh, Dell Senior. I remember, uh, I don't remember what year it was, maybe 2000, 2001, when, uh, uh, when Dell was leading the Daytona 500, and I think it was two or three laps to go, and his right rear tire uh, exploded. He ran over something, and Derek Cope went on to win the race. Uh, it was kind of cool because when, when Senior got to the garage, pulled into the garage, I was already in the garage, you know, with my camera. I was taking pictures. So I still have them in a file in a photo album today. But that was, uh, you know, but I I didn't know Dylan Hart Sr. Uh, I was in his present, and I thought that was kind of cool to to be near him. But I, I didn't know him at all. But the only time I really had to hear him speak was when he was speaking to Donnie Allison at times. And that happened two or three times back then. But, uh, but man, he was uh, – he was, uh, uh, you know, obviously just a big name superstar in our sport and uh, had a big presence about him. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, it was kind of cool what little, uh, what little I was around him early years, you know, of NASCAR. Dominic, uh, obviously you and I weren't uh, around covering the sport when, when Dale Sr. was around. But uh, if you would have had an interaction with him, what, what would have been one thing you wanted to ask Dale Sr.? Now, that's a very biased question, right, for me. I don't know if I'm the right person to ask because having the, the opportunity to work with Jeff Bodine on his book, I'd want to ask him more about their rivalry and just going toe-to-toe and, and being friends until they weren't friends and, and how that progressed through the 90s. And that would have been really cool to find out more from his perspective. And, and, and of course, I know Jeff's, but it would be really cool to hear what Dale had to say about that kind of stuff. How about you? Yeah, I, I would – I want to ask you about just how an expert he was in marketing. You'll pick his brain, you know, from just the brand that he built and, you know, he and Jeff Gordon together, what they did, to, you know, build up, you know, what the image of NASCAR is today, you know, through those two. I'd be very curious to just pick his brain on that and that side of things because he was certainly ahead of his time on that. But uh, next question in the uh, inbox uh, for Marty. Uh, this one, it uh, comes – uh, from Mary, and uh, Mary wants to know, Marty, who were some of your favorite broadcast partners you worked with over the years? Oh, geez, you're going to get me in <laughs> trouble, Mary. I mean, I've so many. Um, okay, well, let's let's go with NASCAR first. Obviously, when you get a chance to work with Benny Parsons, um, it, it, it's just a treat from start to finish. Um, I, I've always told everybody there, there's there's two things you learn uh, from Benny that it, it, it ain't music unless it's got a banjo or a fiddle, and you never went hungry <laughs> in the garage area. Uh, so uh, in drag racing, um, number one with a two-man booth, uh, Mike Dunn. This guy won 22 national events in NHRA, both Top Fuel and Funny Car. But not only could he drive these monsters, he could build one from the ground up. And when you have an analyst that can do all of that, um, I mean – it, it makes your job so much easier. And uh, he was he was absolutely fascinating. Uh, Scott Goodyear is a great friend of mine. He has got a great sense of humor, but every time he gets into the booth, um, it was like he put the helmet back on. And I mean, he was 
laser focused on the race and 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 very rarely could we get his his sense of humor to come out until we got <laughs> Eddie Cheever in the booth with him and Cheever and him would just go you know at each other every now and then so that that helped that that whole process but I, I, honest to goodness I mean I, I've worked with so many Larry Rice uh oh golly guys uh, Larry Newber I mean it, it just the the list would go on and on and on but uh yeah it I, I've been very fortunate to to work with some of the finest people that ever ever put on a microphone Marta you mentioned Scott Goodyear and Eddie Cheever uh those years that uh IndyCar when you guys were covering in on ESPN and ABC with those guys and Rusty was there with you for a bit I mean uh the broadcast you guys put on was uh just as good as we've ever seen, I think, in the history of the IndyCar series. I mean, it was uh, – and ESPN was invested back then with IndyCar being, at the time, the only property in motorsports I think they had there for a bit. I mean, that that was a that was a big deal. You guys did a great job, and the chemistry was very evident there. Well, thank you. I mean, but the, the, the thing you always learn in this business, no matter what you do, there's going to be somebody that doesn't like it. <laughs> So you, <laughs> you, 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 what you what you tell yourself is do the best you can. Be honest and truthful. Be true to the sport. Be faithful to the people that you're working with and and do the best job you can to put a period on all those stories that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, somebody not liking it. Uh, didn't Rusty uh, ruffle some feathers uh, with that Iowa IndyCar race, something about uh, comparing IndyCar to the Bush series or something then? Oh, Rusty had a few uh, <laughs> that, 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 you know, uh, in fact, his, his one and only Indy 500 is the 2006, and it's the year that Sam Hornish is going to pass Marco Andretti. It's the only time it's ever happened, coming out of turn four, wins the drag race to the finish line, and... The, the the analyst is supposed to stay quiet from from that point on. It's the play by play's call, and and I you can hear me on the broadcast say it's a drag race to the finish. Who's going to win it? And you hear Rusty shout out, "Hornish wins! Hornish wins!" <laughs> <laughs> and the producer was about ready to shoot him, <laughs> but, but he was just excited. I mean, he was you know it was a Penske car. And yeah. obviously he has a relationship with Roger and, and uh, the emotion of the moment, which to me was okay. But uh, yeah, <laughs> he, he, it, it was one of those moments where the producer was not, not totally thrilled. Rusty's <laughs> uh, had a pretty good broadcaster too. Uh, he was, I think he did that Dover race this year and did a great job on Fox uh, with, uh, with Clinton, Mike, uh, David, uh, just as a consumer, I know when uh, when you're watching, uh, who are who are the some of your favorite broadcasters just to enjoy listening to whenever you get a chance to watch on TV? Oh man, you know it just man, you know Phil Parsons did a great job in the Truck Series. He still does. You know Marty Reed was just you know I uh, you know was phenomenal. I mean it's just you know amazing. You know, it's interesting the the uh, how many different commentators have been over the years. You know, uh, I've been, I enjoyed uh, Jeff Gordon's uh, knowledge of the sport uh, after he retired. It was good to to get behind the scenes and to, and for him to explain different things. I really uh, appreciated uh, 
I think Tony Stewart's done a phenomenal job, you know, when he when he's in the booth. But from a driver's standpoint, you like to hear them cover the race. And then sometimes when they're covering the race, you know, they ask them, you know, what 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 are these guys thinking? Why this? Why that? And it's uh it's a different perspective uh for me as a driver to watch it and to hear uh some of these guys that have won championships, won races to to give their insight, you know what I mean? As you listen, listen, you can learn a little bit from it. So, uh, but man, I, I, I kind of like it here uh, lately when, when, when some of the former drivers get in the booth and, and share their knowledge, you know? So that, that's kind of what I like. Tyler, let me jump in. You mentioned, yeah. Phil, you mentioned Phil Parsons, uh, David. I remember yeah. when he first worked with me and the truck series, he had this uncanny knack. I mean, he, he was, picking out things that were going to happen before they happen. And, and, I, and, and I, I asked him, I go, what are you seeing? And he goes, well, if I tell you, you'll tell them. And then, <laughs> and then you know, <laughs> we, we won't have the secrets. And, but I mean, he, there were about four or five times in that first year where, I mean, I, I, I thought he had a crystal ball. And uh, <laughs> I mean, he, he, he would say something and sure as shooting within two or three laps, boom, it was, it was happening. And uh, yeah, he, he, he's always done a good job. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Dominic, who, who are some of your favorites that you've enjoyed over the years? And I think as a kid, just nostalgically, Benny Parsons, getting to see him with NBC broadcast booth, Mike Joy over the years, Bob Jenkins. And, and, and I think too, being a kid that, his first exposure to NASCAR was the NASCAR 99 video game and Benny Parsons and Bob Jenkins having the call in that video game. Just even some of the lines and some of the, the history of the sport. And, and Tyler, one of my favorite lines, because Marty brought up Benny Parsons about you'll never go hungry with them. One of the best lines from that entire game, randomly, you'd hear Benny Parsons say, this track's got the best food. So on <laughs> with Benny Parsons. But yeah, BP, Bob Jenkins, Mike Joy, towards the top of those lists for me. Yeah, um, I I think of you know, you know Daryl Waltrip. You you can't talk about great broadcasts in the sport without mentioning DW and you know Boogie 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 became so iconic. Uh, you know over the years, uh, you know Marty's here did a great job. Alan Beswick, uh, I think Rick Allen does a great job now. Dale Junior. Um, you know, there, there's been so many. I, I I loved Wally Dolan back, and you know when Kyle Petty did races too. You know, so uh, a lot of great guys over the years for sure. One uh, of the ones that that really early years as a kid was Ken Squire. One thing about Quentin Ken Squire, he, he I loved his voice. He usually told a story, and he'd always told their hometown. He always knew where the drivers were were, were from. You know, he, he made it a point just say the their last name, their full name, and from, you know, from, uh, you know, Little Rock, Arkansas. You know, he always he always mentioned their name and then their hometown right after he mentioned their name, you know what I mean? And, uh, and man, I, I uh, used to love early, early years hearing Chris Economaki, you know, when he was uh, a TV commentator uh, and, 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 and broadcasted races. Uh, but, man, his voice was amazing as well, you know. So, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that, that's uh, that's fantastic, guys. Uh, we got to wrap up and go. Uh, but before we do, kind of just around the room, uh, real quick, uh, Marty. What's uh, you mentioned? You got the school bus going on, but what's kind of the just the next few days look like in the uh, the world of uh, of Marty Reed as you head into the weekend, man? Uh, 
kind of dull, actually, uh, believe it or not. Uh, my wife has got me uh, hooked up to get ready for a, a yard sale, garage sale. So that's Thursday, <laughs> Friday, Saturday. So if you if you want to come buy some junk, come to my <laughs> house. I'll gladly sell it all to you. Uh, you know, I, I asked her, I said, look, if I gave you $300 for all this crap, could we just throw it all out? You know, I mean, it's one of those, <laughs> but that, that's, that's my future now at, 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 at age 70 guys. I, I hate to disappoint you. Hey Marty, how's that go? Uh, I think, you know, happy wife, happy yeah, life. Happy life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, two, two most important words in a marriage. Yes, dear. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Dominic, as Mr. Nostalgia, you might be uh, trying to find your way to Marty's uh, yard sale here. Hey, there there you go. Maybe. Well, be about a 1,500-mile drive or maybe about a four-hour <laughs> flight from New Mexico. <laughs> oh, oh, we've got one. such great items for sale. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, if you're going to twist my arm, maybe I need to get <laughs> What's uh What's going on with you, Dom? Yeah, I'll be home this weekend. Looking forward to, to spending some time with the family and and then next week, I'm looking forward to seeing all of you guys at Texas Motor Speedway to go out and cover that and, and taking the family. So it's going to be a fun time next week, this weekend and next weekend. Yeah, uh, I am. Uh, I'm off to my hometown of Tulsa this weekend to see the family, but uh, also going to meet up with uh, the comedian, uh, John Christ. Uh, he's a big NASCAR fan, uh, good friend of Corey LaJoy, and I get the chance to catch up with him. And I'm sure we'll talk some racing and stuff Uh See what it, what's going on with him. So that's all I got going on, David. Uh, you're uh, you're off this week, I believe. But then uh, we got your favorite race track, Texas, next week. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to the racing next week here at my home track, Texas Motor Speedway. But before then, you know, we just uh, you know the team Texas, my racing school, we're just busy uh, uh, finishing up some wraps, wrapped a couple new cars, and um, got. I think I have two meetings tomorrow. Just busy my wife was just telling me once i got home real quick uh uh she's like hey you know uh, saturday my oldest boys got homecoming date and all this stuff and and i said well man me and, me and my youngest boy is going racing so <laughs> it's kind of uh kind of interesting you know go back to what marty says yes ma'am <laughs> you know where do i need to be and uh but it's a busy week uh uh you know finalizing some sponsorship uh, for uh, for the Texas race uh, next week, and uh, and man, just busy, lot, lots lots going on, and uh, man, I'm excited about Bristol. Bristol under the lights Friday night for the Xfinity race, and then uh, to back that up Saturday night with so much at stake. Uh, you know, at Bristol, you never know what's going to happen. You know, so I'm excited about uh, maybe Saturday night. I won't be able to watch the race live, but I'll DVR DVR it, tape it, and when I you know, maybe it's a late, late Saturday night, but when I get back from the racetrack with my youngest boy or sometimes Sunday, get to get to watch the race. It'll be exciting. So uh, just, uh, you know, like you guys, just lots going on and uh, it'll be enjoyable. But I'm looking forward to seeing you guys uh, next week here at the Texas Motor Speedway. Yeah, certainly going to be a lot of fun. Marty, we appreciate you joining us and uh, taking time out of your evening to uh, be here, man. You're welcome back anytime. Plenty of... Uh, Great stories uh, shared over this uh, last hour. Thanks for being here with us, man. Thanks for the invitation. Yep. Enjoyed it, guys. Man, Marty, what an honor it is, man. A legend like yourself, man. You did so much for the sport. And, uh, 
and you lived your dream and accomplished so much, man. It's just cool to have you uh, have you uh, join us uh, this evening. We we really appreciate it. It's it's cool to get Marty Reed's insight. You know, what I mean, to hear some of those cool stories and all the stuff you've seen and been a part of is amazing. You know, I, I guess you know you have so much knowledge in what you did. I was asked the question. Uh, is there ever going to be a Marty Reed book come out, you know, about your experiences in, in motorsports and stuff like that? Uh, I, I I don't know. My my wife keeps hounding me about something like that. But, I, David, I got to be honest. I, I do appreciate all the kind words, but I, I've never looked at myself in that perspective. I, I, I literally look at myself as just being one of those storytellers. You, you talk about all the great people that have been involved over the years and every one of us has a story to tell. Um, but I'm, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure that, that there's a, a market for a, a bunch of books by a bunch of guys who sat in a broadcast booth. I'm, I'm, I could be wrong, but I, I just, I enjoyed what I did. And, and, uh, you know, I live on, on YouTube. I mean, <laughs> you, you can get sick of Marty Reed if you, if you really watch enough YouTube. Well, I think you would probably, Hey guys, I think you guys would agree with me. I think Marty Reed would probably be surprised how many books he would sell and what you guys thought. So. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if I, I read, but I'd listen to the uh, Marty Reed audiobook version, you know. <laughs> Cuss words and all. Perfect. <laughs> Damn straight. Yeah. <laughs> Where to see a John Force. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dominic, uh, one more follow up before we run here. Uh, we mentioned John Hunter Nemechik, and uh, next week we're keeping it in the family. Keeping in the family, another guest that David missed out on in 2022 that we're going to have back on the show this time around. Joe Nemechek will be joining us on Let's Go Racing next week. We're really hyped about that and looking forward to having Joe back. And I'm sure a lot of our conversation will focus on his son signing the Cup Series, that number 42 car, really keeping it in the family, especially with the number. I'm sure it's going to be a great conversation next week. Yeah, we look forward to that. We'll put the checkered flag out on this edition of Let's Go Racing. Uh, as always, uh, you can follow us on social media, uh, Facebook and Twitter at Star Podcast. Email davidstarpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on Apple, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Hit that like button. Uh, helps out the algorithm to get this show out to as many people as we can. We certainly would appreciate that. And we thank you for joining us here on Let's Go Racing this week. For Marty Reed, David Starr, Dominic Armagon, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another edition of Let's Go Racing. We'll see you next week.